morning church. Today's reading is from Psalm 76. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His tent is in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shields and the swords, the weapons of war. You are a splendor in with light, more majestic than mountains, rich with game. Valiant men lie plundered. Their sleep, their last, they sleep their last sleep. Not one of the warriors can lift their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both horse and chariot lie still. You alone are to be feared. Who can stand before you when you are angry? From heaven you, are pronounced, you pronounced judgment, and the land feared and was quiet. When you, O God, rose up to judge, to save all the afflicted of the land, surely your wrath against men bring you, brings you praise, and the survivors of your wrath are restrained. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all the neighboring lands bring gifts to the one to be feared. He breaks the spirit of rulers. He is feared by the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church this morning. It's good to see you. Uh, We have before us uh, a short passage, uh, but one which is rich with imagery, which reveals to us the character and the greatness of our God. So let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Abba Father, as your children, we look to you for life. We look to you for forgiveness. We look to you for for, for protection and for guidance. Please speak to us this morning about yourself and about your dealings with mankind. Help us to know, Lord, what it means for us to be able to live in your holy presence. What a great miracle and blessing this is to be your people today. Help us, Lord, to learn of you and to be led by you. So be with us this morning, Father, as we open your word, that we might hear and know and obey what you reveal to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. C.S. Lewis is a name well-known and well-loved by Christians the world over. If you've never heard of C.S. Lewis before, then you may have uh, heard of the Chronicles of Narnia, or perhaps you've seen one of the movies based on the books of the same name. (coughs) Anyway, in the world of Narnia, there is a great and good king whose name is Aslan the Lion. So our first picture today is, again, another lion, Aslan the Lion. And today I'd like to begin by reading to you from the Chronicles of Narnia the passage where Aslan the Lion is first introduced. It comes from the first book in the Narnia series, although I think it was the last book that C.S. Lewis wrote. But anyway, it's one of those prequel type of books. Uh, It's the dawning of the very, very first day in the new world of Narnia, and it's a scene that parallels Genesis chapter 1. I just want you to listen to this and let your imaginations run for a moment. This is what uh, C.S. Lewis writes. The eastern sky changed from white to pink and from pink to gold. 
The voice rose and rose till all the air was shaking with it. And just as it swelled to the mightiest and most glorious sound it had yet produced, the sun rose. Diggory had never seen such a sun. As its beams shot across the land, the travellers could see for the first time what sort of place they were in. It was a valley through which a broad, swift river wound its way, flowing eastwards toward the sun. Southward there were mountains, northward there were lower hills. But it was a valley of mere earth, rock and water. There was not a tree, not a bush, not a blade of grass to be seen. The earth was of many colours. They were fresh, hot and vivid. They made you feel excited until you saw the singer himself and then you forgot everything else. It was a lion. Huge, shaggy and bright. It stood facing the rising sun. The thing that fascinates me in this description of Aslan is not that he was huge and shaggy, but that he was bright, a bright lion. Aslan was radiant with glory. Or in the words of Psalm 76, verse 4, he was resplendent with light. A glorious lion. He was aglow with an inner glory. And it's a beautiful picture. And yes, C.S. Lewis wants us to see in this portrayal of Aslan the lion a foreshadowing of the true lion of Judah who sings this psalm in our passage today. In fact, as early as Genesis chapter 49 verse 9, you'll find a prophecy about the tribe of Judah which says this. says, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? It's a prophecy about the coming king who is in the line of Judah. And this image then is also applied later in the Bible in Isaiah chapter 31 verse 4 to the Lord God Almighty. So Isaiah says, for this is what the Lord said to me. As a lion growls, a great lion over its prey And though the whole band of shepherds is called together against him, he is not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamour. So the Lord Almighty will come down to do battle on Mount Zion and on its heights. And the point here is, and this is important for our reading of Psalm 76, this symbol of a lion is sometimes used poetically in the Bible to capture the experience of knowing God. What's it like to know the living God? It's like knowing a lion, only much, much bigger than that, just like in our kids' talk today. And there is also in these passages, from the reference to Judah to the reference to the Lord, uh, an overlap of language which is a little disguised in our psalm, but I'm going to point out some aspects of it now. For example, in verse 2 in Psalm 76, the so-called dwelling place of God is actually a lair or a lion's den. It's a word abode, but it can also mean lion's den. It's not a word you would normally use here, like temple or house or tabernacle, but it's a lion's den. So, God's den is in Zion. And that makes God the great lion. 
And in verse 4, there's another play on words when it says the mountains are rich with game. It's the same word we looked at a moment before in reference to Judah and to the Lord. It is the word prey. It's not just game, but prey, that which a lion would be very interested in. The mountains are rich with prey, rich with game. And so you see, it helps to think like a lion when you read this psalm, because what would a lion love more than to see mountains full of prey full of game a glorious mountain indeed from the perspective of a lion or in verse 6 another example the rebuke of God could equally well be translated as the roar of God the rebuke of God the roar of God the roar of a mighty lion at your roar O God of Jacob both horse and chariot lie still you alone are to be feared who can stand when you are angry When God roars, all creation trembles and the whole world falls silent. So today, as we look at Psalm 76, I want you to imagine God as that lion or imaged by a lion camped on his holy hill watching the affairs of mankind. The lion of Judah is a good and great king who protects his cubs against the strongest foe, but his judgment is to be feared. And so my four points for today are these. First, the lion's den in verses 1 to 3. Second, the lion's glory in verses 4 and 5. Third, the lion's roar, speaking of his judgment in verses 6 to 9, and then finishing with the lion's praise in verses 10 to 12. But I begin with the lion's den in verses 1 to 3 where we read these words. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His tent is in Salem. His dwelling place, his den, is in Zion. The first thing to see here is that those who know the Lion King are highly blessed. In Judah, God is known. What a privilege. God is known. He is known as the righteous judge. He is known as the defender of his people. He is known for his justice and mercy. He is known for his name, the Lord, which we looked at last week. And it is the high privilege of God's people to dwell in the presence of the Lord. To be citizens who live, as it were, in the lion's den. But this privilege can cut both ways. If you love the Lord and you honour him, then you have nothing to fear, as it were. In verse 2, Salem literally means peace. But here it's being used as a short form for the name of the city Jerusalem. Salem, with a capital S, is the city of peace, Jerusalem. That's the promise of the city. But if you provoke the Lord with your sin, I guess you could say he may eat you for breakfast. So let those who live in the presence of the Lord be careful how they live. Let us not provoke him to anger by our folly. The Lord is a strong and powerful king and his den or his dwelling place is on Mount Zion 
in the midst of his people. And where exactly is Zion? Well, Zion originally was the citadel where the temple was built, but Zion now has taken on a far richer, deeper theological significance. It's a word that represents a whole world view, if not a whole new world. Zion really becomes synonymous with what we might call heaven. It is God with us forever. When the Messiah brings God's kingdom in, then Zion becomes the eternal city, the place of our eternal rest. And so Zion becomes the new Jerusalem, the city that comes down from heaven, the church triumphant. In fact, ultimately, we are the citizens of Zion, the city of the living God. And Zion, then, is not only the hope of the Jews who need to turn to Jesus and receive him as their Messiah, but it is the hope of the Gentiles too, of you and me. So in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, listen to this promise of Zion. Uh, Isaiah speaks of the last days. He says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple, Zion, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And if you turn to the book of Acts, that's exactly what you see. The king having come to his temple, having ascended the throne, having been put to death by his enemies, rises again. And then the spirit is poured out and the gospel goes forth from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the fulfillment of what Isaiah is speaking of and we are participating in that as his people now. Do you see, even before the birth of Jesus, God's people were thinking about Zion in a way that looked forward to the end of days and to a new Jerusalem where peace will flow like a river to the ends of the earth, just like C.S. Lewis portrays it in his books of Narnia. And later on in that same book, uh, the, the lion Aslan will continue his song and as he sings, the vegetation comes out of the earth and suddenly there are trees and forests and, and he sings creation into being, this singing, glorious lion. It's like I say, it's a, it's a telling of Genesis chapter 1, almost a parable for children to understand. So we read in verse 3 in our passage today, there in Zion, God broke the flashing arrows, the shields and the swords, the weapons of war. God accomplished something in Zion, in Christ, on the cross, that is the beginning of the end, the end of the beginning, if you like, the incoming of God's peace has been seen in the cross and the resurrection and we still look forward to it when Christ returns at the end of days. At Zion, God triumphed over the enemies of his people. He triumphed over sin, death and the devil. 
He opened a new and living way for us to enter into the den and to live with him forever. At Zion, God established a peace with a capital P, a peace which Psalm 76 is singing about. And so we're singing about God's peace. You who are in Christ today have come home to Mount Zion. In a sense, you've come to the journey's end by coming to Jesus, although we still have to keep on walking by faith until he comes again. And the writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. It's a passage I know many of you will be familiar with, but let's have a look at it here, just one part of it. The writer of the Hebrews says, Two Christians, you have come to Mount Zion. To the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyous assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. To be a Christian is to be a citizen of that eternal city, is to be dwelling, as it were, in the lion's den, having come to Mount Zion. It means that you are now living with the Lord. You've not come simply to an earthly city, but you have come to a heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And by faith, you've entered into the city gates. And may God bless you with his peace today. Whatever troubles you are facing in life, whatever challenges you have, you have a God who has accomplished the victory that brings peace. And that's also part of the Christmas message too, isn't it? That Christ entered into the world we sing of the peace that he promises to those who know him and love him. Well, that's the promise of Zion, the promise of everlasting peace with God. So that's life in the lion's den. Now in verse 4, the psalmist's eyes are drawn irresistibly to this great and glorious resplendent lion whose den he loves and whose name is great in Israel. So let's behold the lion's glory in verse 4. You are resplendent with light, more majestic than mountains rich with game. Valiant men lie plundered, they sleep their last sleep. Not one of the warriors can lift his hands. At your rebuke, at your roar, O God of Jacob, both horse and chariot lie still. Why is God's name great in Israel? Why is he so loved by his people? Well, it is because he has won the victory that we could not win ourselves. No weapon of war can overcome his mighty arm. No human court can overthrow his justice. Every arrow and every shield and every sword lies broken and useless at his feet. I guess in summary, his message for all people, but particularly for his enemies today, is put your weapons down and live. Don't be among the prey who are slain and who fall because they refused to bow the knee to this king. Don't pick a fight with the Lord. Are you mad? Are you crazy? Who are you that you should attack the Lion of Judah? Warriors more valiant than you lie fallen on the ground. Their arrogant words and their violent outbursts have been overthrown, defeated. 
Possibly, if not probably, the psalmist was an eyewitness to a great deliverance of the city of Jerusalem. He must have lived through perhaps something like what happened during the reign of King Hezekiah, which you can read about in 2 Kings chapter 19. The Assyrian army had come down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, then turned inland, climbed up the hill and put a siege upon the city of Jerusalem. And the army of the Assyrians had King Hezekiah, as it were, trapped like a bird in a cage. And the king of Assyria thought, this is only going to be a little while and I'll have the city of Jerusalem too. But what did Hezekiah do when confronted with this imminent danger and destruction? What did he do? Well, he went into the lion's den. He went into the temple and he prayed to the Lord for deliverance. And the Lord heard his prayer and answered him. Out of Jerusalem will come a remnant And out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Well, that was God's answer to Hezekiah's prayer. And the very same night, the angel of the Lord went out and put 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp to death. And when the people got up the next day, there were all the dead bodies. The lion of Judah had roared, and God's people were miraculously delivered. So King Sennacherib never did defeat Jerusalem. He went back in disgrace to his home city. Such is the glory of the Lion of Judah when he roars. For those who seek protection and care today, we have reason to rejoice that we know such a great and mighty king. So here's a lesson to encourage you in your faith today. The powers of this world that we so often fear, as we look around, we become afraid perhaps the authorities who are against us, perhaps the institutions that are causing us to, wanting us to bend the knee to ideologies that are against the gospel, the mouths that mock and insult us for our faith, the forces that rise up to oppose us and pull us down, the worldly wise, the self-made men and women, the bullies, the heartless and the proud they will not gain the victory they desire. They will not enter the eternal city. They will not prevail against the Lion of Judah. Unless, of course, they repent, unless they bow the knee to this king, lay down their weapons and enter in peace. God will always protect his church He will guard his people. And Satan knows this and he's filled with rage because of it. He is filled with rage because he knows that his time is short. So he makes war on God's people and he longs to destroy the church. He hates you with a vicious, violent, chilling hatred. But the Lion of Judah is our strength and stay. He guards his church like a lion or a lioness guards their cubs. 
At his roar, the enemy is silenced. But the faithful remnant of God's people, the poor and the afflicted of the land, they rejoice at his victory. And we are encouraged to rejoice as well as we think of Christmas and the coming of the King and all that he came to do for us. So let's now have a look at my third point for today, the lion's roar. When God rebukes, as he does in verse 6, this is not a time for arguing back. On the contrary, it's a time to submit and live. At your rebuke, at your roar, O God of Jacob, both horse and chariot lie still. The right response when this lion roars is not rebellion, but God-fearing faith. It's to put our trust in this lion, to revere him, to admire him, to be awestruck by his character, his nature, his strength, his divinity, his power, and to turn that into worship and adoration and praise. So in verse 7, you alone are to be feared. Who can stand before you when you are angry? From heaven you pronounce judgment, and the land feared and was quiet. When you, O God, rose up to judge, to save all the afflicted of the land. Now, sometimes I think we must be like deaf and dumb and blind to go on living, treating sin so casually, ignoring the voice of God, which is clearly speaking into our lives. It's a form of madness, this semi-half-hearted belief in God. Whatever happened to godly Christian fear, fear of the Lord? To revere him. Perhaps we should all go to Taronga Park Zoo, do what uh, Victoria was suggesting. Now, put your hand up if you want to hop into the lion's cage. Who's first? Imagine if you're forced to come face to face with a fully grown lion. I'm sure it would be terrifying. Just stand up. They're huge creatures, aren't they? They're a big, big cat. And if that lion looked straight down at you and roared, well, wouldn't your knees turn to jelly? That's the God or a portrayal, the understanding of how God, great God is and how weak we are in his presence. And that, my friends, is what's going to happen when God pronounces his judgment on the world. He will roar. He will roar. O God of Jacob, you alone are to be feared. Who can stand before you when you are angry? How can we stand before this holy God and not invoke his anger? Well, before we get there, let's ask the question, what makes God angry? I mean, have a think about it. What makes God angry? Well, Romans chapter 1 talks about all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And that makes God angry. Treating his name with contempt, exchanging the truth for a lie. 
worshipping idols rather than true and living God, having an indifference to sin, doubting God's word, questioning his love, prayerlessness, arrogance and pride, as well as corruption in the church and false teaching and so on. I mean, there are many aspects of sin that work itself out in our lives We have underestimated the holiness of God. Sin deadens our sensitivity to his presence and his power. Sin tries to pass the buck and blame someone else. But when the lion roars, when he roars at us, we will know that he is just And what he's calling us to do this morning is to surrender, to repent, to stop sinning, to listen to his word, and to come before him as our king. So my final point today, the lion's praise. To know this great and majestic lion is actually to fall in love with him, the very one who we fear is the one we love and adore. It's to know in your heart that there's really no place you'd rather be than to be living in the lion's den in the kingdom of the Lord. For the lion of Judah is a great and good king and his kingdom is life. Life that is true. Life that is eternal. Our world today is subject to decay. We must all come before that enemy called death. We must all face the grave sooner or later. But those who love the lion know that even death is not the end and it need not hold the fear for those who know the Lord that it holds for those who don't. For indeed there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the last three verses in our psalm today are focused on giving praise to the Lord in all circumstances. And the first circumstance comes as a surprise. Praise the Lord for those times when his enemies lash out against him because their anger shows that God is right. Now, I'm looking at this verse, and it is a difficult verse to translate. And I have looked at how NIV Bibles translate it, and I've looked at the footnotes, and I've thought about this long and hard. I'm going to go with this translation here, which is kind of half of one and half of the other. Surely the wrath of man brings you praise, and the survivors of your wrath are restrained. Surely the wrath of man brings you praise. How can that be? Even the wrath of the condemned is reason for praising God. Even the hatred of the wicked is reason for praising God. Why? Because their frustration shows that God's justice, God's judgment is right. And in the final analysis, that's a good thing. Sometimes as Christians, we feel embarrassed by the idea that God judges sin. But it's a good thing that he judges sin. He wouldn't be a God worth following if he ignored what's wrong in the world. How can you love the lion and hate his judgments? How can you belong to his kingdom but hate his laws? That doesn't make sense. Those who know the king, who know the lion, love the lion, love his laws, love his character, and confess that we are sinners too. You have to be able to say that God's judgment is good. 
You have to be able to praise him for it. Otherwise, you're not being faithful to the calling to be a citizen in that kingdom where Christ is king. Listen to the words of the Apostle John from Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. John is looking for the lion, and then one of the elders says to him, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So here the lion appears again at the end of time in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. And John turns around thinking to see a lion. But what does he see? When he sees the lion, he actually sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, the throne of God, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He hears the good news of the Lion of Judah. He turns and he sees a lamb, and the lamb is on the throne of God. So the lamb who takes away the sin of the world is the Lion of Judah, is the Lord God Almighty, the Lion is the Lamb, is the Lord. And when this lion lamb opens the scroll of God's judgment, the rulers of the world are terrified. You go on into Revelation chapter 6, it says, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks on the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And now, as you read those words, I wonder, did you hear the parallels with our passage today? Because essentially the language is the same as Psalm 76. For example, verse 12, he breaks the spirit of rulers. He is feared by the kings of the earth. Or especially, verse 7, who can stand before you when you are angry? Those who love the Lord also love his judgments and praise him for his righteousness. Whereas those who trust in their own understanding and who hate him and resent him and turn against him, well, there's nothing they can do about it. Even though his judgments aren't to their liking, he is the righteous king. The Lion of Judah prevails because he is God. He is the great and good king who protects his cubs against the strongest foe. And that's why we worship him today. It is Jesus who squares those tensions between knowing that God is holy and righteous, knowing that he is the one who judges sin, and yet how can we live in the presence of this holy God? It's because Jesus is the Lion of Judah who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who is the Lord God Almighty, who deals with that problem in and of himself for us. And so then, how should we live in light of this wonderful truth, we who claim to be loyal servants of this King? Well, verse 11 says, Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all who are around him bring gifts to the one who is to be feared. In other words, live a life consistent with God's word and God's character. 
The Apostle Paul tells us how we might do this. Uh, I'm going to give you some examples. Romans chapter 12, there's a whole section there. Let's just look at some examples of how we should live in the presence of this great king. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. A little later he'll say, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, this is the character of this king, this great and mighty lion. This is also, the fact, he's a, a prince of peace. And calls us to live in the same way. When the lion roars, the earth trembles. When the lion roars, the wicked wish they were dead. Well, thankfully, we can leave that up to the Lord, for it is his to avenge, his to repay. But as far as for us, God says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And so we come to that verse, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. It's a very countercultural response that we are to have. So we look at all the troubles in the world. Pray for peace. Be initiators of peace in your own relationships. And yet sometimes peace comes by fighting against evil. And so there is, I think, a place uh, for us as Christians. For example, if somebody breaks into your home, you're going to defend your family. That's a right and proper thing to do, to maintain peace within your household. And I think when a, a nation gets attacked by another nation, then it's right. You would respond in the same way as you protect your family. You, you do it by, if necessary, seeking peace through the silencing of the enemy. But we are not to take those things into our own hands. This is to be done as part of a community uh, in order. So in conclusion, what have we seen today? First of all, we've seen the great God who is the Lion King. Now when the lion roars, what do God's people do? Well, God's people listen to his word, for it is a great and glorious word that he speaks. When the lion roars, God's people humble themselves and pray. We pray for our enemies. We pray for peace. We pray for God to be honoured in the world. When the lion roars, also God's people rejoice in his victory. We celebrate Easter as a victory over sin, death and the devil. We rejoice in God's great victory. When the lion roars, God's people overcome evil with good. When the lion roars, God's people joyfully declare his praises. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Full of glory, full of grace, he protects his cubs against the strongest foe. And he will certainly protect you when you come to him with that right attitude of reverence and holy fear. For you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. 
You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyous assembly to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the king. And this is the victory in which we live today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please increase our faith. Please soften our hearts and give us eyes to see the world as you see it. Not only in its fallenness, but in the opportunity and potential for redemption that you hold forth in the gospel. Lord, when you roar, help us to tremble. Um, May we not be deaf to your warnings, but at the same time help us to rejoice in your victory. For Lord, the world around us is in a mess and is so fallen in so many ways. When you are angry, who can stand before you? So help us run to you. Help us to know you. Help us, Lord, to surrender that we might live with you forever in the new Zion, which is the church of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem that comes down from heaven to earth and draws us in. Lord, we thank you for all that you have set before us in your word today and we praise your holy name in Jesus' name. Amen.